0: all these as well. Before we do that, let's all pray. Father, thank you so much for your spirit. Father, thank you that you're speaking and that you're continually speaking. God, I'm praying, I'm so thankful that you are alive and not dead, that God, we are worshiping. uh, Father, uh, your, your spirit that's alive and moving in the world today, and it's not powerless, but it's the most powerful On the planet. And Father, we're praying that this morning, God, we would be able to again tap into everything that you have for us. Father, that the things that need to change would change. The things that need to shift will shift. The things that need to become more solid, God, would take deep root. God, all of those things, God, we're asking that you do, not just here in the room, but everybody that's watching online as well. Father, they would feel your spirit in such a real way. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, come on, everybody said amen. Amen. Okay, uh, 10 things that never get old. We would all love to find things or find the one thing that would help you never get old, right? Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you would be like, yes, please. Give me some of that. Some of you are like, no, I don't want to worry about that. I'll be young forever. Awesome. Yeah. Uh we'll see how that goes. Um, ten things that never that never get old. I actually am going to take some of these from um the culture of our church. What well, we call it what we run on as a church. And so if you've been around our church, if you've gone through growth track. Uh, these things will sound familiar to you. If you haven't yet, this is a great Sunday for you to be here because you're going to get a little inside look at what happens at Growth Track and and what we talk about. Because every church has a culture, every church has a culture. Actually, every family has a culture. Uh, every business has a culture. Uh, every nation has a culture it, the, whenever you get uh, more uh, in, in fact you have your own personal culture you, it, when, whenever you sit down and you what the culture is is basically culture is um, is what uh, what actually helps you do the things that you do or and, and better explain it is your default so uh, we we got to understand when you're in a different situation. When you're in, maybe um, when you you go to a different family's house, maybe they do things a little differently than you did, and that's a different that's a cultural shift. And so for some of us, maybe we came came to this church and we saw some things that were going on. We're like, whoa! I've never seen that before, because there's a different culture, and and culture can be toxic. Or culture can be very life-giving. And so what we're trying to do in our church is we're trying to make sure that the culture that we have as a church family is very life-giving. That's what would honor God. And and most people would never set out to say, I want to have a toxic culture in my family. All right, No, no one really sets out to do that. But sometimes when you don't pay attention to the things that you need to pay attention to the most, uh toxicity comes a lot of times by just apathy and then and and that's how you can have toxic culture in your family your marriage your your job it, it just because you're you're not really paying attention to the things that you that you really need to pay attention to and so as a church we we really uh we don't just say these things we are these things because it's it's different to have a slogan you know like as a So if you're just thinking about your family's culture, and you're like, we love everyone. And that's your family's culture, right? Okay? We love everyone. But then the first person who comes into your family for dinner that doesn't act like you, you're like, okay, get out, get out, get out. Okay, that means that's not your culture. That just is a slogan that you say. And so for our church, we want to make sure that the things that we talk about that we run on, the things that are most important to us, the things that makes New Heart Church New Heart Church aren't just things that we say, but they actually are who we are. That's what makes culture so, so uh, strong, and that's what, and, and especially when it's life-giving culture. So I just want to talk about these 10 things. You can write these down. We're going to go as fast as I can. Uh, number one, we listen, then lead. We listen, then lead. This all stems from having a teachable heart. We want to, as a church, have a teachable heart. It is very hard and difficult to learn when you think you know it all, right? This is, this is hard, this is, and this is why you can get frustrated when you're raising a four-year-old and you're trying to teach them something and they're like, no, 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 let me tell you and you're like, what? Like, from a very young age, we start growing up in this ideology that thinks that we know it all. But we got to understand to have, and we have to have a teachable heart. Are you hungry to learn? Do you walk into different situations always talking about what you know instead of asking questions? Where, where is your heart? If you ask more questions, you'll probably learn more things. And so it's really important to have a teachable heart. You listen. You listen to things around you. You listen to people that have been before you. You listen to people that you maybe not would have listened to before. You keep a teachable heart when you do that, when you listen. And then at the same token, you're ready to lead when it's time to lead. Because you've listened, now you're ready to lead. But so many times we think, oh, I just got to go out there and lead. I just got to go out and do it. But you haven't listened enough, so you don't have enough wisdom to do the things that you need to do to lead. Uh, And and, uh, adversely, sometimes we listen, but we listen too much. We just sit and sit and listen and listen and listen and heard really good things, but the time that it's uh, about time for us to lead, we don't take that step into the unknown because we're just sitting back wanting to hear good things, hear good things, hear good things, but never act on them. That's why as a church, a part of our culture is we listen, then lead. We put them together. We keep a teachable heart, but ready to step into something when we need to step into it. Okay, number two, generosity is our privilege. Generosity is our privilege. Proverbs 21, verse 26 says this. I love this scripture. It says, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Give. The godly love to give. Generosity is our privilege. I have been in churches where generosity is a mandate. I've been in churches where generosity is for a chosen few. I've been in churches before where generosity is made to happen in people's lives. But I want to make sure in our church it's looked at as a privilege. I get to give. I, I, I get to pour into the house of God. And, and, and let me tell you, tithing, when we, when we talk about tithing, I, I, I want you to see this, that, that tithing is a very specific part of being generous. Because there are people that are generous that don't tithe. Just so you know... There are people that are generous who don't tie. They're generous to different things and different organizations and all that. And that's wonderful and great. And and just so you know, generosity, God always blesses generosity whether you love him or not. God will always bless people who are generous. So so just so you know, there is blessing, but there is specific blessing that happens in your life when you are generous with God, and that's, I just want you to see this, that's what tithing is. Tithing is saying, I'm generous to God's house. That first 10% that God has given me, I'm generous to God's house because it's specific to the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, when you give like that, your life explodes into blessing. I'm, I'm, there are things that you couldn't get away from that God will chase you down with blessing because you give like that. And it might not be right away. Some of us think that it's like a just a transactional thing. No, God never does things like that. Sometimes they happen immediately and sometimes they happen over time. But if you look back to the consistency of your giving, what you will see is God consistently blessing you way out of your control and way out of your means. And in places that you couldn't have, and you couldn't even think that you would be. God has placed you in those places. Why? Because generosity has and always will be a privilege to you. So you step in that. And, you st- and, and I mean, it'll break things in you. When you start tithing, it'll break selfishness. When you start tithing, it will break the wayward heart that sometimes leads you away from church. It puts you right into, well, how, how does that work? Let me tell you, God said it, Jesus said it. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, right? So you want your heart to be locked up in church and you want your heart, give. Give, give. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so we, we, we see this all the time. And I just want to let you know, if you feel like you're getting your arm twisted right now, that ain't me. I just want to let you know, I don't want anybody in here going, okay, God, here you go. Keep it. Keep it. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And he, and he wants you to be happy with how we get. Man, I'm so excited that Jess and I get to get. I'm so excited we get, we're able to, to pour into God's house. Because I know that not only is God going to bless us. I know that's going to happen. But God is going to unlock things on earth. And he's going to build things that are going to last for eternity. You can't put a price tag on having a teenager give their heart to God last week. I dare you. Try to put a price tag on how, especially ask their parents how much they would pay. Generosity is our privilege. All right, next one. Man, I got to keep going. Wow. Are you guys having fast forward on that time clock? That is fast. Okay. um, I'm just talking long. Okay. uh, Next one. We see the answer in every problem. We see the answer in every problem. We are solution-based people. That's the culture of our church. We don't see a problem. And we're like, "Ha! Sucks to be you." That's not how we look. We see problem, and we see there's an answer in that problem somewhere. This is what Jesus did with the disciples. Remember the disciples that came to Jesus? And they said, we got like 15,000 people, like 5,000 men, lots of kids, lots of uh, moms and dads running all around. They're all hungry. Jesus, we have nothing to give them, so you need to send them away. They go get food because, Lord, that's a lot of people. Just send them away. And what did Jesus say to the disciples? He said, you give them something to eat. The problem forced an answer. And remember what they, we got another, all we have is five loaves, two fish. There's your answer. There's the answer. We see the answer in every problem. So many times we miss God's answers because we think we don't have it. Or we think, man, it's just a problem that's unsolvable. But when we get, this is the culture of our church. When we get faced with a problem, we're like, there's an answer here somewhere. There's something that God is going to squeeze out of this thing. It looks impossible, but there's an answer here. Something it might look impossible with your family. It might look impossible with your kids. It might look impossible with a relationship thing that you're going through, right, man? It might look impossible financially, but there I'm telling you, there's an answer somewhere. And there and we become detectives of the Holy Spirit where we start looking every place in every corner where where is that answer gonna and all of a sudden it comes up and the problem for the answer and that's where God started his miracle. Right there. Because So what it does is we're not scared of problems because we know that there's answers there. Alright, next one. We give honor. Romans 12.10 says this. Uh, I I love this uh, scripture. It says love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. We live in a culture right now where honor, a lot of times, seems like the ending of a good joke. We live in a culture right now where honor, uh, listen, you don't get a lot of likes on Instagram for honor. So our culture that we live in, not the culture of our church, But the culture of our world is much more interested in dishonor, is much more interested in ripping something down. And I'll ask you a question. What takes longer, ripping down a house or building one up? It's not a trick question. Yeah, rip it down. That's the easy way. And it's easy to rip something down. It's easy to see somebody's faults. Come on. It's easy to see somebody's blind side. It's easy to see where somebody is messed up. That's that's an easy thing. And in a second, you could rip them down and rip them apart. But God asks us, don't take that easy road. Take the high road and start building people up. Start looking at the good things that are in their life. Start honoring them. But we we, somehow we've got it twisted to where we think it's okay to rip all our leaders. And we think that that's what God's called us to do, is to rip everyone who God has placed in leadership, whether it be political or, or somebody maybe in a family atmosphere or a church atmosphere or whatever it is. It's so easy to rip them down. But in this moment, God says, take delight. Romans twelve ten. take delight in honoring everyone, the people that are leading you, the people that are right beside you, the people that you're leading. We lead everyone and we honor everyone the same. And the reason we do that is because Jesus died on a cross for every single person, thus placing honor on every single person. And who are we to take that honor away? So we put honor on everyone. And we, we want to have a culture. So when you hear uh, people in our church saying wonderful, encouraging things about us or you hear other people talking about other leaders and they're so great and they're so great what and you're like what what this is like a brown nosing church no no it's an honoring church because god's asked us to honor and don't get it twisted just because you honor somebody doesn't mean that you're blind to their faults you can see somebody's mistakes and still honor them Unless you you hold your honor only for perfect people. You'll be holding that honor for a long time. So then, if that's that's right, there's no reason for Romans 12.10 to be written, right? right? No. Take delight in honoring people. So just don't do it. Actually have fun doing it. Like, delighted. Like, this is awesome. I love building people up. I'm not brown-nosing anybody. I love honoring people. Like, I I, I love the honor that Jess and I have received, even this last week, coming into being, uh, being lead pastors for 10 years of this church. It's awesome. I love it. But I also love looking at all of our staff and team and thinking, there's no way we would be here without them. Like, you don't understand the sacrifices that they've done. And you, and, and you don't see the things that they've done. It, 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 like, they're just amazing, amazing people. And you all know that, but I just want to let you know that I, I am so, so thankful that I get to lead and serve an amazing staff team here at our church. Come on, let's give it up for our amazing pastors on staff. Incredible people. Listen, church, I don't want that to just be like a little hand clap. I want that to be like all the time throughout our church. I want to make sure that we get real comfortable with showing honor. But the problem is, I'll spend just a little more time on this one because it's so countercultural. The problem that a lot of people uh, have with honor is they've seen so um, so many people, especially leaders, that have messed up. And they think, if I give my leader honor, that's just going to give them more license to act any certain way. And that's just simply not true. When you honor people, what you're doing is you're believing, and this gets into another thing that we have in our church, you're believing the best in them and highlighting that. And you're, and you're honoring somebody actually takes your hand off of where you need to. Uh, if I need to scoot anybody around, no, no, God, they're your leader. I'm going to honor. God, they're the person that uh, I'm leading, I'm going to honor them. I'm not going to step on them. I'm going to honor them. The friends that I have that are peers, I'm going to honor them. I'm not going to try to jockey for position of who's better. I'm going to honor them. I'm, I'm telling you, every relationship get, gets better when you honor the correct way. Okay, uh, next one, uh, we protect unity. Ephesians 4.3 says this, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding themselves together with peace. It's no, it's, it, it is no secret that our culture doesn't care about unity. Our culture cares about being right. And everybody thinks they're right. Wherever they land, on any situation and anything. And so it, it, it is uh, brought through so many divisive things. And I'm telling you as a church, this is so important that we really fight for unity. And I'm not talking about uniformity because there's a lot of people that are different that are in this room. And so we can be different but still be unified. We can be different and still say we're coming here to lift up the name of Jesus, not lift up my ideology. So we're we're coming here together. I might have some differences with somebody on my right or my left, but that's what makes the kingdom of God so beautiful is that we still can be unified even when we have differences. And we can still be unified when we vote different. We can still be unified when we go to different schools. We can still be unified when we have different financial uh, tiers. We can still be unified when we've come from different backgrounds. We can still be unified when we come back from different races. We can still be unified. When we look different, when we dress different, when we talk different, we can still be unified. God isn't looking for everybody to come together as a robot. He's looking for every tribe and every tongue and everything from every nation to come together and lift up the name of Jesus. That's what he's looking for, and that's what makes the church beautiful. When we can be unified, not uniform, but unified. And when we can come together and we look different, we talk different, we have different backgrounds, but we worship the same savior and that is the thing we're gonna stand on and we're not gonna stand for backroom politics and we're not gonna stand for side conversations and we they splits and they do it like that but that's not how we do it and we're not gonna stand for those things what we're gonna stand for come on church we're gonna stand for unity we're gonna fight for unity we're gonna be together even when we have different thoughts, whatever happened to discussion, whatever happened to actually seeing somebody else's point of view, what happened to empathy, where you live in somebody else's skin, not trying to let them hear what you have to say and win them over because you have a good idea, it's destroying Unity. And somehow some churches have swallowed this pill and their pastors are playing to a base. And the more they talk about one thing, the more their base gets excited. Then all of a sudden their church looks just like them and dresses just like them and talks just like them. And nobody's different and nobody's diverse. And you might say, oh, I got a great church. No, no. you have a church made in your image, not God's, and it doesn't look like church, and it doesn't look like heaven. And so I'm going to be really good at listening because I know listening is the biggest tool that you can have when you want to stand and fight for unity. Screaming louder to have somebody hear you will not help your unity. I could take a long time on that. I'm going to downshift because it's getting hot. (laughs) I just hate, I I hate, I hate division so much. I hate it. There's no room for it. And I hate that we as churches sometimes have just let it be and been okay. Uh, No, I'm not going to talk about any more of that. Okay, um. We'll be known for what we're for, not what we're against. We're going to be known for grace. We're going to, come on church, we're going to be known for second chances. We're going to be known for love. We're going to be known for accepting. We're going to be known for, and listen, and when I say those things, some of you might think, oh no, he's lowering the bar. No, I'm not lowering no bar. Loving somebody through their sin, is one of the highest bars you can have. Loving somebody through their mistakes is one of the highest bars you can have in life. And where you can say to somebody, I might not agree with everything that you're doing, but that has nothing to do with my love and worth and value that I put on you. And people would love to turn that around and say, oh, no, no, you can't love me unless you accept My whole lifestyle. And I want to let you know that is a lie. It's a lie. Because Jesus loves me. And just so you know, I don't do everything right. No big shocker. (laughs) But Jesus loves me. Even with my faults. Even with my mistakes. Failures. Things that he has taught me and I still messed up. Still loves me. And the great thing about that, I I come to Jesus and I don't feel at all like somebody's holding something over my head. Where he could every time. Church, can we be known for grace? Can we be known for love? This is why Romans says it so plainly it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. The goodness of God that brings people to repentance. It's the goodness of, not the judgment of God. Come on. Not the judgment of God. You don't have to sit there and judge people and let them know how terrible they are. Listen, the enemy is already whispering how terrible they are in their ear already. Don't join him. It's the goodness of God, it's the grace of God. Are you going to give people a license to just do whatever? It's going to be wild in your church. They're going to be doing stuff and posting stuff and their things and all that. And what are you going to do? How are you going to control that? I don't control it. I believe that the Spirit of God will change somebody, not my meddling and controlling them to try to get them to manipulate in such a way them to act like something and look like something, but inside there's been no change. Inside, there's been no transformation. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be known for what I'm for. I'm for love and grace and mercy. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you instead of a church that's known for, oh, you hate these people, and you hate these people. You hate, and I can't believe that you, you hate this political person. You hate this. And you All right. Keep saying all that. You you can paint me with that brush all you want. But I know that for our church, we're not hating anyone. We're loving them. We're showing them grace and your mercy and believing that God can change them. And I don't need to. All right, next one. We are owners. I'm going as fast as I can. All right. We are owners. You want to say something that will cut me to the quick? I mean, you want to say something that will cut me so deep? Here's the one thing. That just gets me. I mean, it just deflates me. I just feel like I got shot. I didn't even see the gun, but I got shot. When somebody says, your church is so awesome. Oh. What you're doing is so great. Oh. I just, it just kills me. I walk back like I got rejected at prom. I mean, I just feels so terrible about, like what? Because what I want to hear is say, my church is so awesome. What we're doing is so great. But when I hear you and your, all I hear is I'm not an owner yet. And the strength of this church is not on me. The strength of this church is on us. But see, that's a, uh, listen, I can preach that. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. But then when we talk about like, okay, church, let's get our hands dirty. Let's get moving. Let's get going. And you're like, no, that's you. That's you. You're doing great. Your, your church is awesome. <laughs> your church is awesome. No, no, no. It's, uh, ownership is something completely different. Where this is my church. This is our church. What we're doing. Well, what we're moving forward in, this is my church, my church. And when you start saying that and start letting that sink down into your heart, that's when things start changing how you see things. Owners, listen, I wrote this down, owners care about every detail, not just the details that pertain to them. Owners care about every detail, not just the details that pertain to them. So when we were, I, I was at camp the last night when, um, and all of the different uh, tribes, teams, uh, they all were leaving and they're doing their prayer times and, um, and so the huge auditorium that we were in, we were all, you know, they were starting to tear down. Everybody was starting to tear down. And um, I look up and I see guys in that room that don't have high school students starting to pick up chairs. Listen, this is like 10.30 a night. Y'all should be in your boxers. Like, chilling. Like, that's normal. No, 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 I, I see Pablo, there just picking up chairs, stacking chairs. See Bailey up there picking chairs, stacking chairs. It has nothing to do with them. But everything to do with their church. So you really can see ownership when you are doing stuff that has nothing to do with you. And it, it, it's amazing. Last week I preached at um, my pastor's uh, church in Austin, Texas, at Shoreline, and um, and so I, I preached there, and uh, you know Watson was sick. And um, and so Jess had to stay home, so I was there doing it myself. And I'm driving to church, and I'm praying. It's going to be great, and um, and believing we're going to have great service here, and you know, and all that. And um, I got a text uh, from Sammy and Debbie Chesser, who um, they live in Houston. If you don't know, they live in Houston. They watch us every Sunday. You're watching right now. Love you guys so much, um, and they are incredible leaders at our church in Houston. And so, I mean, just the most faithful, amazing people. Uh, some of you know them. Some of you haven't had the uh, privilege of meeting them. I mean, they're just incredible people. They love us. They text us every single week. We're watching. We got your back, pastors. We're here. Um, and so I'm driving, and I get a text from them, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, they're just, you know, getting ready to watch online. And, um, and they texted me and said, hey, we're here. I said, what do you mean you're here? They said, we're here in Austin. We're here. We're here. We wanted to support you. And so they drove from Houston. Just, just to be there. Not knowing that Jess wasn't going to be there. Not knowing that I was there by myself. There for both services. Sitting in the front. Just to support. That's ownership. It, it, it is so Beautiful. And it's so wonderful when you have people. And I want this. This is a thing that runs through our church. We don't want you just to attend a church and hear a nice message. We want you to be an owner of this church. Let this be your church. And let your flavor seep into all the other wonderful flavors of our church. And let it be what it's supposed to be. And not miss out on how our church could be even more. Because you're sitting back, not understanding that God wants you to own it just like I own it. All right, next one. Serving is our calling. Serving is our calling. A lot of times in, uh, in Christianity, you can hear a lot about what God called you to do. And so when you start saying what well, God called you to do, people say, well, I'm called to be a businesswoman, or I'm called to be a businessman, or I'm called to lead an organization, or I'm, I'm, I'm called to raise a family, or I'm called to... And it, and it has so much uh, placed on what's specific to what you do. But over all of that, see, we, we, we go right to those things. I'm called to be a pastor, or I'm called but your highest calling and the one that is same for everyone is to serve people. That's your calling. If you were wondering what your calling was, it's to serve people. Jesus made it very clear. He said the, the first will be last, last shall be first. You are sent here on earth to serve. Son of man was not, he did not come here to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why I'm here and that's why you are here. Your calling is to serve. But sometimes we miss it when we start thinking about calling because we're like, well, I called to that. Well, is it serving somebody? Well, yeah, but, well, then you're called to it. No, but I'm not good at that. Okay, let me, let me give you an example. We're in a boat. boat starts leaking. And you're right there. And I ask you, put your finger right th- put your hand right there, stop that leak. And you look at me you're like, listen, I'm really a good driver of the boat, but I'm wasted on like leak stopping. Like, I mean, I'm not good at that. I'm not, I'm not called to that. No, 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 no. you're called to that right now. Otherwise, you're going to be called to swimming. So, so be called to that. But, but we, a lot of times we miss that, oh, we are called to serve. So wherever there is a need, that's where I'm called. But we don't like that for two reasons. One, some of you don't understand that you are not meant to be the Savior. So you go to every need that you see, run yourself ragged, and then start getting mad at everybody who has a need. And that's unhealthy because you think you're the Savior. So there are some things that you don't need to run to. And then... The other thing that makes that unhealthy is some of you take that message that I just said and take it to the extreme and say, oh, they got it. They, they got themselves in that mess. They're going to have to get themselves out. I'm not wasting my life, and my energy is so precious. And I've got to be- you build so many boundaries. Your world's like this. And you think you're being healthy, but no, you're just being Selfish. And it's hurting you because you haven't learned. You haven't reminded yourself, my my calling is to serve. So get out of your wonderful little two-by-two and start serving where it doesn't even matter to you or your calling. Just serve somewhere where no one even knows you and just help. But also don't run over there and think you're the Savior and have to serve everything at every time. And destroy your life and other people's in the process. It's it's a balance here that is hard to keep. But the easiest way to do it is just, God, I just need your help. I need your help, God. So I can serve the best way I can. I don't want to get selfish, but I don't want to get burned out, so help me. So I can serve. Because I know that, come on, our culture serving is our calling we serve and so there's moments that aren't going to burn you that aren't going to burn you out that are just going to help you not look at yourself so take them and say oh let me you go first you do this here let me help you that's that's a part of our culture not at a, at our church we don't want to make that just a slogan we want that to be a culture uh, next one we believe the best we believe the best. We don't look at people with a side eye. We believe the best in them, and and you know that's not a positive spin. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, y'all, just you know, like extra positive. We believe the best. No, I I say that because I have faith for someone's future. It's not, I'm not trying to spin nothing. I have faith for your future, and I believe that th- there is best in your future, and I believe there's best in my future, and I want—I want to believe the best in people, not the worst. I remember this so so clearly. In college, we had this guy on my floor. And I was a chaplain, and he was just, man, he—he uh, he had a lot of issues, and—and and it was causing a lot of issues. And, um you could just see his life just going in a downward trajectory and he was trying to take as many people with him as possible and he was frustrating me and, and I was having a conversation with him and then talking to somebody else and they were like man I love I love Corey so much and I said yeah I do too he's I want to punch him in the throat but yeah I love him too and he was like man I just tell you it's just a matter of time and I was like what matter time before he is like one of the biggest lights on this campus and I was like what and he was like dude do you see how many people he's got with him imagine when it comes time when God grabs a hold of his heart what is going to happen in his life and what is going to happen with so many people I want to tell you that was one of the first times that I actually saw the power of believing the best in somebody. And it changed my perspective on how you see people. Because a lot of us we we um we lead and we see people by their history. And God looks at us not by our history but by our future. What it could be. Thank God, right? that he doesn't look at us by what we have done, but what we can be. We believe the best. Last one here, we're planted in church. Psalm 92, 13 says for they're transplanted to the Lord's own house, church, and they flourish in the courts of our God. The NIV version says that those who are planted in the house of God flourish in the courts of God. Um, I, I'm i uh, not a gardener, just so you know. Uh, I can kill more plants than um, keep them alive. But <laughs> but I... Um, I remember uh, talking with somebody at Lowe's about some stuff and my issues. And um, they were saying this too. And they said, uh, just make sure wherever you plant these, you really want them there. Because uprooting them and putting them in someplace else over time is so much trauma on the plant that a lot of times they will stop growing right, right where they are or they will die and it, the, what, the word that hit me out of all that was trauma they were like it's, tra- it's traumatic when you dig up roots and put it and I just wanted to say to all of us this is why God's word says those who are planted in God's house flourish where you say I'm not going anywhere else I'm staying right here Not, not because everything's perfect, but because I'm planted. And a lot of times we get those confused. We'll stay planted as long as everything is perfect. Right? But that's only hurting you. And so let your roots go down deep. If you, you haven't been here for a while and, and, and like you're just starting to become a part of our church, let your roots Go down deep. We don't have perfect people here. There's going to be some people that are going to be like, oh, wow, that was weird. Or that was, yeah, you're going to have some of that. But still, let your roots go down deep and say we're going to stay here. We're going to see our family grow here. And we're going to see our families become friends together. And we're going to live our lives together. And we're going to have this history together. And we're going to see God's miracles together. And we're going to be able to cry with each other. We're going to be able to uh, thank God together. And we're going to be able to look back on years and years of God's faithfulness together and we're going to look and say look at our lives and how they flourish and they flourish because we are planted where everything else screams at you to uproot plant I'll say this last thing and we're going to worship if you would stand stand to your feet Um, I was uh, this was a story from camp there was a, a high school student that um, they, for whatever reason, they, they were just all locked up. And um, throughout the week, they were, they were kind of fighting through some stuff. And uh, the thing that unlocked this high school student was them looking to another leader that was planted in church that they have seen since they were a little kid still be here. And uh, they named this leader, Evan, Way to Stay Planted. And, you know, Evan's, Evan's been here for forever, you know, he says he was, you know, probably in diapers when he was here, but that's not true because the timeline would be weird. But um, but I've seen Evan grow up from being in kids ministry to going all through our youth and now leading in our youth group. And his faithfulness and him staying planted was the catalyst for somebody else and, and to say, hey, I can trust. Hey, I can open up. Hey, do you know how many people are going to be able to say that because of your faithfulness and because you're going to stay planted and because you're not going to leave and go anywhere? Listen, there are so many people in our city and surrounding areas that need this church and this kind of culture but some of it will be stunted if you uproot because you're supposed to be a part of it. So stay the course, stay planted, and let's throw even a bigger party the next 10 years. And look at what happens in our life. And look at what happens because those who stay planted in God's house, man, they flourish. And so I just want to take this moment. We're going to sing in just a second. I I want to take this moment to really, let's reflect on how thankful we are for what God has done in our life and believing what God is gonna do in our future. Man, God has done so many things already in your life. This is a moment to say, man, God, I'm so thankful and so excited for the future. So all over this room, come on church, let's lift up the spirit of God in this room. Right here, right now, you're watching online, let's lift up the spirit of God. If you would, let's lift up our hands all over this room. All over this room. Let's lift up the name of Jesus, come on church.